Our first reading is from the book of James, chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise as you are able for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading is from the gospel of Mark chapter 2. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I said, this past few weeks, we've been talking about some pretty challenging topics. We've been talking about these sins that you didn't know you were committing. And right away, when I first heard the title of this sermon series, I said, really, do I need more sins that I need to worry about? Do I need to be shown more things that I already don't know about myself that I'm failing at? We have these things that challenge us, these things that we know we do, and yet, as we talk about these past few weeks, this sin of pride, the sin of want, and tonight as we enter in the sin of, of favoritism, I found that my first reaction may not have been correct. In fact, I know it isn't because I've really been able to focus and think on some of these things that maybe didn't pour into me or maybe I didn't realize. It's given me time to really contemplate, okay, where am I falling short? Where are some things that God is really working on my heart trying to get me to see 
those shortcomings, those things that I didn't know I was committing. And tonight with the sin of favoritism, there's something I believe that we're all familiar with, something that we all kind of deal with, maybe not in huge, major ways that we, we have problems, but in truth, we're, fa- we're understanding of what it means to have something that's favorite. And most of the time, it's in simple, small ways. You know, we have our favorite restaurant, our favorite vacation spot, our favorite food, our favorite activity to do as a family, or maybe even a favorite team that we love to support. And these things, these are all really good. These are all important because they allow us to enjoy something that God has given us truthfully. And they also allow us to enjoy fellowship with others. Most of the time, these are good things. But it got me thinking, what happens when these favorite things, these, these simple things, even become challenging to us? Or cause separation or cause us to have a little bit of a, a challenge with some of our neighbors, some of our friends? And it's funny that even some of these small things can be divisive, can cause us challenges. And if you don't believe me, just start a conversation with somebody about whether or not pepper or a pineapple should be on a pizza. Or who the best baseball team is. And I guarantee you, I guarantee that you will get a reaction. And if you're wondering, of course, it's the St. Louis Cardinals. There should be no question about this. And I see some people smiling, so you got, I got the reaction. You did exactly what I said. These are things sometimes that are small, but they still... So what happens when it's greater things, when it's things deeper, when it's things that deal with relationships between us and others, when it deals with how we treat others or maybe how others are treating us? When we play favorites, we walk into a room and instead of talking or trying to reach out to everybody, we go to one or two people or maybe a crowd that's over here and we leave people on the outside. You see, these things happen. We're familiar and sometimes from different standpoints, whether on the inside or the out. So as meaningless as pizza toppings are and favorite baseball teams are, the truth is we know that favoritism can cause some rifts, can cause some hurt. And maybe it's not even intentional. Maybe we don't even understand we're doing it. But that nonetheless, it's something that God calls us to be aware of, that God wants for us to see, to be honest with ourselves. And as we talk about our passage tonight from James 2, some of these things are brought to light. Some of these situations that we maybe need to address in community of believers, as well as in the community where we go out and talk with people on a daily basis, these very situations of favoritism. These things that can cause us to feel separate, apart, marginalized. And James presents a much more concerning type of favoritism as he sets up the scene for what he's talking about in our scripture tonight from James 2. He's talking about the idea of partiality is how he phrases it. A fancy way of saying favoritism. Setting things apart. Basically is what it means at its basic points. And in order to do this, he addresses us and says, show no partiality as you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he starts by contrasting two individuals, two people, two people that we might be pretty common, might understand, might be able to even put a face to the image, if you will. And he starts off by saying that a rich man enters the assembly. Now, this rich man is adorned in wonderful clothes. He's wearing a gold ring on his finger. Everything about him is just perfect. 
And what happens? The crowd gathers around him. The crowd is awed by him and he draws attention and they want to be with him. And he contrasts it with a total opposite as a poor man enters the assembly as well. A poor man described as one who is in shabby clothes. And you can almost picture him, can't you? Dirty. Maybe smells a little bit. Someone we might not necessarily hang out with, we might not necessarily be drawn to, someone who might cause us to be a little leery. And he goes on and talks about this, the context, and we might often think that this context, especially as we're gathered here tonight, that this might be talking about in a church, right? But James is very important and very particular and, and purposeful in saying this is an assembly. This could be in your local restaurant, your place where you gather together with friends, your own home, and somebody enters in. And he's doing this because I believe most of us here could say, well, I would never do that for someone who's coming in as a guest to church. But he wants to extend us from outside of this building into the community where our faith is in action, where we are doing, which is all that James does. He talks about acting out our faith, not just saying we are, but doing from the same book where it says faith without works is dead. And he goes on, and we hear the details. Our reaction already starts to build, right? That the rich man is brought in and given high favor and said, sit here. And yet this poor man comes in, and where does he get? He's on the outside. Here, stand over here. And I loved how Jennifer read this, because I believe that's kind of how it would have been heard, right? You stand over here. Sit at my feet. Something we would never do to someone we cared about and we loved. Now the scene is one that we desperately hope that we would never be involved in as well, that we would never be on the receiving end of that either. But we also hope we would never be the ones to do this. And yet, James is using this situation to call us into question, to call us to really examine ourselves, to see, is this something we are guilty? Is this something we are struggling with? Is this something that we maybe need to really look internally and say, all right, God, have I done this to someone? Whether intentionally or unintentionally, have I been so heartless, so uncaring in a situation where I might have done this to someone? And before we even get a chance to say, well, I wouldn't do that, he doesn't even give the, his readers, his hearers, a chance to say that. Instead, he goes on and shares the scenario as it would likely have happened not giving them a chance to protest. And it's challenging. I'm telling you, this text is extremely challenging and convicting. However, I want you to stay with me. I want you to know that even though there's a lot of law in this, there's a lot of things that are going to cause our hearts to be a little wrenched, the good news is coming. The good news is here. And in fact, James gets to it. But before he does that, he wants us to see, he wants us to revel around in this muck and this mire that he's creating here so that we can take a step back and say, okay, what do I do? What do I need to do? What are some things that you're calling me to do, God? Because this is especially challenging to us as Christians who are taught to love and care for and honor our neighbors. In fact, as Christ has done this throughout Scripture, we see this play out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second commandment is like this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We desire to do this. We want to do this. 
We know we are called, but sometimes when actions happen, we don't always do this. So we don't like being faced with this reality. We don't like being placed before this. We don't like being challenged because we're afraid that it might be speaking to us. And in fact, it might tell us that we're not living up to our calling as sons and daughters of Christ, heirs to this kingdom that he has called us to. And we might too show favoritism in a way that is not the way God intends, not in the way God desires. But using these two polarizing images, using this rich and poor man, James begins to speak and begins to share and begins to talk about what it means to live a life set apart, live a holy life, a life under the name of Jesus that we receive when we are baptized, a life that is called to, according to his purpose to care for others. So first, let's start with the rich man. As we see this scenario come out, it's understandable why we would be attracted to him, right? Everything's right. He looks good. He's got the gold ring, right? He's got, he's got everything. And he is the epitome of the fulfillment of all of our desires, at least in this earthly world. He's got it all. Everything's figured out. And he probably doesn't smell too badly. We're drawn to him because, let's be honest, we just talked last week about the sin of wants, and we struggle with that. And since we see this man, we're drawn to say, well, what, what's different? How did you do this? But there's something greater at play here too, something more than just our desire to be around this person. Honestly, it's mostly about wanting to look a certain way too. Wanting to be seen with the rich man, wanting to be seen as someone important, someone who is elevated, someone who is upwardly mobile, ready, willing, to do and be professional and successful. Also to see what this man could possibly do for us. We see this all the time in our world, don't we? We see people surrounded by, surrounding themselves with this type of thing. If this weren't true, would we really pay attention to all these sports athletes, these stars on TV, the rich and the famous, wondering, oh, how do they do that? What do they have? Look at what they did. It's prevalent, it's pervasive in our world now. And advertisements are even in the same way driven to this very end. If you have this, you would look this way and people would notice. Contrasted with the poor man. The poor man who comes in, who you see his tattered clothes. He looks a different part. You can see the pain on his face. And sometimes we look at this and think, well, he must have done something to deserve this or this must be something that's part of his life. He made poor choices. He doesn't look like me. He doesn't act like me. There must be something that he had done to get there. But in truth, like the rich man, there's a greater thing at play here too because in all honesty, we see ourselves in that poor man too, don't we? Because all of us at some point in life have been on the outside. We've all been there. We've all been on the other side of favoritism, the side that sets us outside the loop, the side that sets us at the feet, the side that keeps us from being able to be a part of the group. We felt the pain. We understand that side as well. And it's tough to read these words because 
and understand in all understanding, we get this side of the coin. We understand what it, what it means to be this, and we never want to be a part of that again. And although we know this is a problem, and even though we want to believe that we wouldn't do this again, James 2.4 says, and challenges us with these words, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In truth, this is hard. Because as we go in our world, we have an eclectic world. We have people who look different from us, people who go to different churches, people who have different beliefs, people who have different political standings, people who will say and share and do all these things that they believe. And we have these, these ideas that these are sins, the things that we can't be a part of. So we separate ourselves from them. All the while, as our text says tonight, we lose sight of the fact that if we've broken one of these laws, we are equal with them. We are the same and we are on the same line. And we no longer show mercy, but rather we show judgment, which is not what God wants for us. And these words, James, his audience would have reacted much in the same way we did today. Hurt, challenged, questioning. Could this be me? Just as the disciples question, is it I, Lord? In a world that prides itself on tolerance, this cuts deep because we want to be the people who love and care for everyone without judgment. And yet, oftentimes, we still fall prey to this. We want to say, I don't do this. I love everyone equally. But James doesn't leave us to drown in this pain and this agony. Instead, James is trying to use this story as a caution. He's trying to share hope. He's trying to share that this is not our road. This isn't what God wants for us. In fact, this isn't what God has set before us. Because even though we may have identified with a rich man, desiring to be like him, in truth, we know most of the time we're like that poor man, aren't we? We're like the poor man in tattered clothes, the ones who are on the outside, the ones who on our own can never measure up. In our relationship with God, we understand there's nothing we do for this grace that God has given us. And yet, James doesn't leave us hanging on that pain and that agony, wondering. Instead, he shares with us the fact that God has chosen these poor people. That God has made them heirs of the kingdom. That he has set them apart. That he has clothed them in royalty. He has given them a name. And that he has honored them as such. No matter how shabbily they're dressed, he has adopted them as his own and made them his child. Equal and heirs. Favoritism is all about value. Favoritism is all about where we place our value. And the blessing we have in all of this is the hope that God has valued you and he's valued me above all things, above anything else that we think we have to do, anything else that the world says we must do or how we must look or how we must act. Instead, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still the poor man on the outside, God welcomed us in, invited us to be his own, and shares with us everything. 
We are challenged because oftentimes we feel like we're turning our, our backs on the calling to love our neighbors as ourselves. We struggle with this, this sin that we may not always know we're doing when it's faced with us, when we see our picture in the mirror, see our, how we are. Oftentimes, all we can see is that poor man. Yet James reminds us in his final passage of our text tonight that mercy triumphs over judgment. The mercy that God alone grants us, the mercy that he gives us, the grace that while we were still sinners, he loved us, he chose us, he made us his own so that we too can do the same for others, those marginalized, those people out there who are hurting, who are lost and feel condemned by the world so that we might share with them the mercy that God has given us, that God doesn't judge in the way the world does. Instead, he sees the heart. He sees a child who is in need, a child he loves, a child that he sent his only begotten son to die for so that we may no longer be in pain. See, this is how God shows his love for us. Even though we struggle, even though we turn our backs, and even though we may play favorites, God doesn't play favorites in the sins that he forgives. He forgives them all. Each and every one, everything we've ever done, he promises that he will redeem us. And although we were lost, we can have a hope that we are found because his mercy reigns above and beyond all things. May this be the hope that we leave in, even as we struggle with the favoritism, even as we struggle with all these things that the world wants to pour on top of us, that we can trust that our God has made us his favorite, his loved and chosen people through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all of our understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.